We're continuing this morning in our sermon series, Read, Pray, Love Daily, uh, looking at a three-year reading plan and just reading through two New Testament readings, four Old Testament readings, and then finishing up on Saturday with the reading from the Psalms. So that's where we are today in Acts 19, which started our week's reading uh, this past week. Now listen, there's been a lot of talk this week about sports. You know, you just had the crazy U.S. Open finish, College World Series going on, uh, the Women's World Cup, just an incredible Game 7 in hockey, a great series, and then also the way Games 5 and 6 went in the NBA Finals. There's a lot of talk of people saying, who are the greatest tournament teams ever? Sporting News, ESPN, Sports Illustrated all have agreed and they've combined together. Greatest sports tournament team ever was? Yeah, the 1977 floor hockey champions of Lidditz. Look at that cute kid. That's all right. All right. All right, back to the other title screen. No. So, where are we today in this Bible reading? Let me just encourage you. ReadPrayLoveDaily.com. You can go there to get the reading. It's a way for us to go through three years uh, uh, three years of reading through all of the scriptures, but at the end of them, and I want you to see one, we tried it last week, but to see it this week, uh, at the end of that, Ben not only gives us a prayer at the beginning, but at the end we have supplemental material. Sometimes it's podcasts, sometimes it's videos from professors, uh, but also we use the Bible Project a lot. So this gives you the background of where we are in Acts. We'll watch about a minute and a half of this, but you can look up the Bible Project. But at the end of all of these scripture readings, you'll find it at the very bottom is supplemental material like this uh, to just help us learn more about what scripture's saying. So, 
these are just helpful to just put the whole book together. So I'd encourage you to go through those five-minute videos, but you can visually see and hear how these books are put together. So here is where we find ourselves. We're on the third missionary journey, Asia Minor and Greece. Here we are in Acts 19 in Ephesus. And what's going on here? If you're following along in your notes in your bulletin, what's, what's going on? Miracles upon miracles. Even you can take sweat rags or sweat bands from Paul or his apron, and they're going to heal, not just physically heal, but there's evil spirits are going to go running because of those items. And that's not what's happening. But you can read it, and we can get sensationalized by that and think that's what's going on. But what we can miss is the glory of the giver over any gifts. And what we want to do is to not miss the glory of the giver. But what can happen so many times in my life and maybe your life is we highlight and we celebrate the gifts. And listen, it's easy to do that with things that are visible and tangible. A couple of weeks ago we were talking about here were God's people waiting for the Ten Commandments. And why were they fearful? They weren't fearful because of the character of God. They were fearful because of the noises and the sounds and the sights, right? That All that scared them, and that's why they were fearful. Here you see it as well. They're consumed or caught up with, use this band or use this apron. Same thing if you go back to our readings in Acts with Peter. Look, just get in his shadow, and you're going to get healed. And you watch the woman with the blood issue when it comes to Jesus's a public ministry. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, that tassel where a person has marked his authority, if I can just get to that hem, that tassel, I will be healed. And we emphasize the stuff and the healing, and we miss what's going on here in Acts, and we miss what is supposed to be the heart of what's going on with us and our response to God. Luke gets it right. Go back to the first verse in verse 11 and what he's saying. This has nothing to do with Paul. What does he say? God was doing all kinds of miracles. I can get caught up in people. P Peter, Paul, I can get caught up in stuff. And what Luke reminds us is it's about the giver. You do that with people. I, I take from this person, I squeeze this person, I need to get from them. Or we could do that with church or with our small group, and we get caught up in the visual, the tangible. Well, I don't know, whatever, you might be tempted, this is my handkerchief or this is my apron. But, but we can get caught up in being fascinated with and centering on the gifts over the giver. And Jesus says to Thomas, blessed is he who has not seen and believed. Keep your eyes on the giver. I've not told this story in the church before, but I think it's important to tell, and I'll tell it carefully because we have a, a mixed crowd here uh, with kiddos in it. But uh, I remember I told you last June of my father-in-law who, when he was ministering in Brazil, he uh, was almost killed by a man whose name was Nicodemus because he was talking about and preaching in the street about how Nicodemus had come in darkness. And so when a man heard him preaching about what he thought was himself, he pulled a gun and was going to shoot my father-in-law. And some men grabbed him and pulled him aside. Well, years before that, Steve Sloop, uh, Sarah's grandfather, uh, was a trailblazing Presbyterian uh, missionary in Brazil. And, and, and it was trailblazing in the sense there was so much corruption in the church at that point. They had really syncretized their faith with voodoo. So it was so bad. I may have even hinted at this on Wednesday night. They literally, and it wasn't true church. It was 
like I said, it was church, but it was overtaken by voodoo and black magic and all that stuff. They had put a bounty on Sarah's ground, grandfather's head to kill him because he was converting so many people to the true faith and drawing them out of the corrupt church and bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they had placed a bounty, and one particular man was going to count, uh, was going to get that bounty. And so he had heard that Reverend Sloop was coming to his town, and so he waited on a rooftop. And when he saw Steve Sloop come to town, he was going to kill him and collect the bounty. However, when Steve came into town that day, there was somebody else coming into town with him who walked into town with him. And so the, the, the assassin basically thought to himself, I know I can get away with Stephen Sloop, right? The church will cover me on that. They'll take care of any problem with that. But I don't know about this guy. And if I hit Reverend Sloop and I don't hit this guy, will this guy see me and will I get in all kinds of trouble? And so he said, I'll just wait for another opportunity. Well, the other opportunity came later when he went to a service to see if he could kill Reverend Sloop, but heard the gospel at that service and came to Christ. When he came and found Reverend Sloop after that service, he wanted to tell him, listen, you need to be careful because there is a bounty on your head. I was going to collect that bounty, but I heard the word of Christ in your message. I've come to Christ, but you need to know that. I was going to kill you when you came into town yesterday, but you had somebody else with you, and so I didn't do it. And Reverend Sloop immediately res responded, I came to town alone. Now, when you hear that story, what do you think? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? I'm highlighting the angel that walked with Steve Sloop into that town to, to protect him and to watch over him so he could get the gospel to this man and hundreds or thousands of other people. We see that and we get fascinated with the angel. There's something okay about that. But what are angels? They're messengers. They deliver the word of God and do the work of God, and they are not about themselves. We can be an angel-happy culture. We can be a miracle culture. We can be a provision culture. We can be a give-me culture. We can be a consumeristic culture. We can be a fascinated, fascinated by what we see culture. We can be a stuff culture. And we bump into stories like this in Acts, and it, and it, and it pushes back and says, it's not about that angel. It's about the giver of the angel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes to the Lord who is your help. That was the help that was sent, but we can get so fast. And listen, every time I think about that story, I'm thinking, oh, that angel. And the angel would say, stop it. Think about the giver who sent me. And we bump into this story and we can get fascinated with aprons, handkerchiefs. We can get fascinated with a shadow or the hem of a garment. But it's all about the Lord. Now listen, I... I the scripture would also push back and would say, listen, doesn't mean you discount those things because God can show up through them. We want to be open to the move of God. However, as long as it's not against his character or his ways, we want to be open to however God uh, would move. Um, but the glory and the focus is on the giver, what he has done, who he is. We can be tempted to chase after the stuff and the provision and the miracle. But what we're seeing in Paul's life through Luke's testimony wasn't Paul. It wasn't the apron. It wasn't the handkerchief. God was doing miracles. The glory of the giver 
over the gifts. But secondly, then we're reminded here by Luke in this testimony in verse 13, to look towards the glory of his person over any power. And the Old Testament, you know that study, you've learned about that from preachers and Sunday school teachers about the importance of names and titles in Scripture, but also over the fact that in that culture and in that time, it was understood that if you had the name of a god or a deity or a sub-deity, if you had their name, then you could manipulate them. If I have your name, then I can force you to do what I want through ritual and sacrifice and by calling and, and using your name. And so when Moses says, who should I say sent me, what does God say? Linking verb. <laughs> he doesn't give a name. Because I will not be manipulated. I cannot be manipulated. I am the one sovereign, holy Lord. I am not like these other gods that you fall for. You don't get my name here because they might think they can manipulate me through my name. And I, I can't be tamed. I can't be used. I can't be forced or coerced. Now later as we go through, yes, you get these titles for God, even naming of God, and then we get this glorious name of Jesus, the one who has come, the anointed one who has come uh, to save. But even with Jesus' name, we see as we watch his life, and we watch his resurrection, his ascension, he still can't be tamed. And when we are given a name, we are reminded it is a name that is above every name, and that God is very serious. We see it here in Acts 19. Anybody who misuses that name. Now we're reminded earlier in this book in Acts 4.2 that there is no other name under heaven with which men or humanity must be saved. And you get down to verse 17 in this passage and you see that it is Jesus' name that is magnified and glorified. But the temptation here again can be in the name or the power or the title or a, a way of ministry or a style of worship or tricks, or gimmicks, or the latest trend, or whatever my neighbor says to do, as we said a week ago, a week or two ago, with my kids, it can be stuff, or people, or principles, just let me manipulate that name, or is it the person of Jesus Christ? Is it the person of God? Can we trust in something, or someone, or is it the name? I love what one commentary said this week, the name of Jesus has power, but only among those who are committed to the glory of God. Meaning that you are his and he is yours. You see in verse 15, the evil spirit says, listen, I, I know Jesus. And I know Paul. I don't have a clue who you are. Because though that person or that group, they're, they're not in relationship with Jesus. And he, this evil spirit, knows that. If he had known Jesus the evil spirit would have known them. It's not just enough to have the gimmicks or the tricks or the principles or the life lessons, whatever that may be, a certain lifestyle, Christ is always the heart of our faith. And he wants to be known and he has to be known for his real life and power to come out in our lives. I, uh, I know a lot of people. I've, uh, I've been shopping with Andre Agassi, uh, been on stage singing with Bob Dylan, uh, hung out and shot the breeze with Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Uh, I got to go to the NCAA uh, basketball tournament with Phil Mickelson. Uh, I know a lot of people. 
Now, when I say that, what I mean is I happened to be in a sack and save in Starkville one time and walked by Andre Agassi, who was shopping for Pop-Tarts. So I stood there for a second and just kind of said hi, but I went shopping with him. Uh, when I say I sung on stage with Bob Dylan, that means I was backstage, I had a pass, he was singing, and I ran up to the edge of the stage and sang while he was singing. But technically, I was on stage singing with Bob Dylan, and the same thing with Nature Boy, Ric Flair, or Phil Mickelson. I, I bumped into him coming up, up the steps at the NCAA tournament, but you can technically say we were at the, the tournament together. So I didn't know them, and they sure don't know me. That's what we see going on here in Acts 19. Uh, you have to know, really know Jesus. The good news is, Jesus wants to be known. Through his saving grace, in your Bible study, in your small groups and Sunday school classes, in our worship here, we serve a God who desires to be known, to make himself known. But to have the life that Paul had, to have the life that Peter had, it has to be an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, an authentic and real knowing. And this evil spirit calls these boys out. You don't have a clue. Do you know Jesus? I pray you do. I, I, I assume that you do. If you don't, I want to pray with you. You find me after this service and let's go pray together. Because Jesus wants to be known. Not that you just know his name, his title, his life uh, style. He wants you to know him and in verse 16, you see what happens to these seven. One person, possessed, overtakes all seven, and they are embarrassed and thrown out. Listen, without real faith and real knowing and real relationship, there just won't be the life that God desires for us to have. Serving at VBS, I won't ask for a show of hands. How many of y'all got tuckered out just in the first 10 minutes of corralling that crowd, right? Or y'all that just came back from Dominican Republic of Honduras, how tired you were after day one, or how tiring it can be to, to parent. And for many of you, you're parenting while trying to bless your parents on the other side of that and doing double duty. How tiring it could be, maybe with where you work, or whatever season you're in in relationships. It could be a this world can just suck the life out of you. If you know Jesus, oh, there's life. You can see the life on those VBS volunteers. Yeah, they were a little crazed. There was life in serving. There was life in just talking as I came in this morning with one of our mission uh, team members from Honduras. Uh, there's life and parenting, as hard as it can be. Life and work. Why? Because I know Jesus. And when I know Jesus, there's power in him. There's protection in him. There's vibrancy in him. There's endurance in him. There's life in him. Not just some little trick or gimmick or throwing out a name. Jesus wants to be known. And when he's known, when his person is known, oh, there's life. We glory in his person, not over any power. And then lastly, we see here the glory of repentance over any rights. Their response to this then is to bring out their, we say magic books, their little scrolls or whatever, they had their incantations, their spells on them. They bring them out 
and they burned them. And y'all, it cost them. Some commentaries talked in tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even more than that, that it cost them not to sell them, but to say that these things that have kept us, that we've put in the place of Jesus, we're going to burn them. We don't want to have them, but we don't want anybody else to have them, and they've got to go into the fire. Now listen, I'm not sure who these people are. Verse 18 says that they had believed. So he's not really talking about pagans. So could it be people who had known and had fallen back or had known and didn't know better? I'm not sure, but I do, realize, I do know this. They knew how costly this was, what it was for them to give this up and to burn these things and to say they've got to go. I'm going to let you help me work through this in my therapy today. Um, Back in the 80s, I went to several revivals where all they talked about was the dangers of rock music. I don't know if any of you have been to those, but at the end of the revival, the, I remember the preacher specifically called out the Eagles. It had been a couple of years since Hotel California, but that was his sermon. That, that, that song, You Can Never Leave, and the talk of the beast, and all that was a devil record along with these, and he named all these other records. And so he told us at the end of that revival, if you have any of those records, you have to bring them after this last night of the service, and they have to go and be burned. So we brought all our secular records uh, with us, and, and we, we threw them into the fire, especially that Eagles record, Hotel California. It was decades later, I was serving at my first pastorate at McGee, Mississippi as a senior pastor there. Our, our praise team from our church got invited to sing for Relay for Life. We were ecstatic about that. And so we were going to go play. And uh, we weren't exactly, they didn't tell us what to play, but we were like, we need to, you know, obviously play Christian stuff. So we, we played all of our praise music and did that for a half hour set. Then we got down after the set, and then the Baptist praise team, and I'm not picking up, my two best friends are Baptists, uh, but the Baptist praise team uh, got up, and, and they played their set. Not a praise song. Not one praise song. They just played, f- and it was fun. It was great. Just played secular, fun music. You want to guess who wrote two of the songs that they played? The Eagles. Now, I had been to First Baptist Church in Richland, Mississippi, and had to burn Eagles records, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, somehow it's okay to play the Eagles live from a praise band. I immediately went up and found Buddy Keys, the pastor of First Baptist of McGee, Mississippi, and I said, you owe me 35 bucks plus interest for my two Eagles records. Never saw that $35. Maybe it was over the top, what happened in the 80s. It's not really over the top here. God's been clear in Old Testament, New Testament, but especially Old Testament. He hates black magic, anything associated with that. But really, even what happened at that revival is not over the top. Whatever is keeping you from Jesus, whatever is keeping you from being clear about your faith in Jesus Christ to others, Those things need to go in the fire. Whatever might hurt your walk with Jesus, whatever might hurt somebody else's walk with Jesus, they need to be burned. Whatever, maybe it's a wherever, whoever it is, 
fire. They need to go. God is calling us to an authentic, complete life. And uh, he doesn't just want a lifestyle. As we said last week, he wants your whole heart. He wants all of you. Anything keeping you from that life, whether it's a power play or a gimmick like these folks, just trying, whatever it might be, uh, it's got to go in the fire. I love what Bill Urey said this week on his podcast. He quoted George MacDonald. I love to read George MacDonald. George MacDonald flirts with some theology that I don't particularly care for when it comes to salvation, but everything else, what he, what he has to say in his fiction and his preaching and his writing, most of it so, is really solid stuff. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis would say that George MacDonald is his spiritual father, that he gleaned so much from him, and Bill Urey loves him. And he quoted George MacDonald in his podcast, uh, this week when he said, Jesus will not be sufficed until he extracts the last penny from the base of your heart. Now using that image of penny from the, the Sermon on the Mount, but the point is this, and Bill Urey would say, Jesus will take away every loving action that he can, he will take, excuse me, every loving action that he can to extract anything that is separating from you, from him, at the base of your heart. Whatever that is, it's got to go into the fire. And they get it. We might say, oh, that's over the top. It was costly. It's got to go. <laughs> we search our hearts this morning in response to God's word. What are those things that I've been trusting in or that I've been playing with in my thought life, in my, in my, in my relationships, in my, whatever that might be, that's got to go. They, they had bumped into that reality in a wild way. They had seen the fruit of their era in a wild fashion. We don't get that. Not many of us get that. So we got to do that work of searching this morning. Lord, show us what needs to go. How is it that you need uh, this morning to celebrate the giver? His gifts like, like Stephen Sloop's provision in Brazil, sometimes can be so overwhelming that we can highlight the gift. But how is it this morning that we need to be careful and to be quick to give praise to the giver of those gifts? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the fullness of life with him? Again, I'd love to pray with you about that because there really is no patience and endurance and life without a growing and vibrant relationship with him. And, and then also, as we look to this last point, anything, anything need to go, anything keeping you has come between you and Jesus, has taken the place of Jesus, let it go. It's 354, I surrender all. Let's sing as we respond to this, his word. Let us stand as we sing.